All right, we've been talking about the vision of Mission Gathering the past few weeks. So who we are and where we're going. And we are one of five Mission Gatherings who share the same vision statement across the country. And this is the vision statement. We exist to be a community of Christ followers, growing in faith, living whole lives, and seeking justice for the good of our neighbors. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about what growing in faith means, that faith is not the absence of doubt. That faith is an openness and a willingness to move toward love in everything we do in life. Living whole lives, we talked about last week, and we tied that with what does it mean to be saved and salvation and live, living a whole life. And that wholeness is God's dream and goal for the world, that everything would be set right, that everything in the world would be as it should be, including in our own hearts and lives. And we talked about that living whole lives means loving and having compassion on the parts of ourselves that are really hard for us to love. So this week, we are talking about that last one, seeking justice for the good of our neighbors. What is justice? What do you all think of? What comes to mind when you hear the word justice? Fairness. Fairness. What else? Justice League? <laughs> no, just me. What else? Yeah. Law and order. Uh, the legal system. Yeah. One way to understand justice is the, the righting of a wrong. Um, when someone does something bad, we demand justice, right? We demand that the, they pay for the hurt that they've done, that they've caused. Getting even, eye for an eye, justice. Um, I came across this note of a kid and his six-year-old tw on Twitter who wrote this note to his teacher um, who felt like he had been mistreated by his teacher and he called for justice. It says, Dear Miss Jones, I am angry of you because you took 25 of my hummingbird bucks. All because I was talking to Connor that's no big deal. I'm only six. I can't be quiet all the time. And that makes you a thief and a crook. And you are going to hell. Real hell. <laughs> the burning one because you are a thief. I worked hard for those bucks. And my only prayer in chapel today was that God gets you to hell fast, super fast. And your new haircut is bad. Real bad. Isaiah. Um, the teacher had to have a meeting with his parents. <laughs> he demanded justice be done for the wrong that was done to him. And it's ironic that his name is Isaiah, which was the prophet in the Hebrew Bible who spoke about justice. But this is not the kind of justice Isaiah was talking about. You hit me, I hit back harder. These are some quotes from politician. When somebody hurts you, just go after them as viciously and as violently as you can. When people wrong you, go after those people because it is a good feeling and because other people will see you doing it. Going after people who have wronged us, it's something about it that makes us feel good. In some ways, our whole justice system is based on that idea. You do a wrong, we do a wrong to you, even to the point of killing you for what you've done. We want justice to be done. 
helps us to understand a little bit of why we think this way. It's an ancient human kind of a gut reaction. When somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them back. And we find this in the Bible. Exodus 21 says, If there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This idea was a result of a desire for fairness. You steal my apple, then I get your apple. <laughs> it's a basic desire for things to be even. And this is found in the um, 8th century code of uh, Hammurabi, which was kind of an ancient law code in the ancient Near East that a lot of cultures followed. Um, and it was tied to the justice system. So when somebody wronged uh, something that hurt the community, they would take it to their ancient court system and put in place the law of Hammurabi or Exodus for the Jewish people, the ancient Israelites. And this idea kind of translated into... If we desire this, then God must desire this too. If we wrong God, God must demand that we be punished and pay for that wrongdoing. Walt Whitman, the famous poet, 19th century, kind of spoke on this idea of God. And this idea of God was really fully developed in the Middle Ages into the Protestant Reformation and into today, uh, primarily in the West. He said, God is a mean-spirited, pugnacious bully bent on revenge against his children for failing to live up to his impossible standards. Have you ever felt this way about God? I have. I grew up in a religious environment that said, God is angry at me because I was born a sinner. And the only way that God could have his anger appeased is out of his love, sending his son to die in my place and be tortured in my place. God is love, and God is pure anger and wrath and demands justice. So this idea is a big Western idea in Christianity, and that's what Walt Whitman was speaking to. I want to help us understand a different way of seeing justice that is, is rooted in the prophets in Isaiah. Um, in the first century, the Jewish people uh, in the ancient Near East had been overtaken throughout history by um, the Egyptians, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Greeks, uh, by the Persians, and now in the first century by the Romans. They had had a long history of their land being taken and a larger superpower coming in and just taking over their lives. And so they were longing for this time when it wouldn't be like that anymore. And they looked back at Isaiah's writings, which were from, arranged a couple hundred years because there were different writers of Isaiah, but there was a passage around 500 B.C., which reflected the time when Babylon had taken over um, Israel. Oh, I forgot about this. Has anyone seen this far side, Gary Larson? This was the view of God that I had growing up. God is at his computer, and he's getting ready to push a button and drop a piano on someone's head because they, here's a, they are a sinner. <laughs> they deserve to be punished. It's a right and wrong kind of justice system-based religion. It's what I grew up with. Isaiah 61, and this is a passage in the first century, a Jewish person would have been very, very familiar with this passage. It's like what 
a lot of Christians know today, the Lord's Prayer. A lot of Christians know the Lord's Prayer, John 3.16. This was kind of one of those in the first century. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. The year of the Lord's favor refers to this day in Israelite history called the day of uh, the year of Jubilee. And that was one year every seven years or so where they would release all the debts and they would uh, release the prisoners from prison. And they'd kind of be just a fresh start for the land and for the people. You know, it'd be nice if every seven years uh, my student debt was erased and your credit card debt was erased. Wouldn't that be nice? So that's what he's referring uh, referring to at the year of the Lord's favor. During this time, they were taken over by the Babylonians. And so Isaiah was calling for this day when it would be no more, no more captivity, no more oppression. In the first century, they would read this and think, yes, we are in captive, captivity by the Romans, but we still have a hope for this day that Isaiah was talking about. So if you read Luke's story of Jesus... When he first starts his ministry preaching in synagogues, he goes into the synagogue in his hometown, and he's, I'll just read it. When he came to Nazareth, where he was from, he had been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him. Mic drop moment. He's saying, I am the one who is going to start this process of freeing the captives, of freeing uh, people who are oppressed. But what's interesting is that, did you notice any difference between this passage that Jesus quoted and the one in Isaiah? Notice the bottom, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, the day where we will have justice. And now see what Jesus read. Let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. Everyone in that synagogue knew that passage. They knew that it said the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stopped reading there and he rolled up the scroll. Why did he do that? Did he not know his Bible? Did Jesus not know his Bible? I don't think so. I don't think Jesus forgot a line. I think it was intentional. That what God is doing in the world is not judgment and vengeance. What God is doing in the world and through Jesus is bringing peace and restoration and hope and freedom. I think Jesus was giving people a new better, more truthful way to understand how God works. I think Jesus was changing people's understanding of God. 
that justice does not look like vengeance upon our enemies. Justice looks like systems of oppression in our world being turned upside down. Those without power being empowered. The voiceless given a voice. I think that's what justice is. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell people in the synagogue. And then the people in the synagogue were shocked and they liked what they heard. But then they got upset at some things Jesus said and they kicked him out of his hometown. Because part of the people who will be set free are not just God's people, Jewish people, the Israelites. Jesus said it's all people who will deserve to be empowered and experience God's love. And people in his hometown didn't like to hear that. They didn't like the inclusive message that Jesus had. So in Matthew's gospel, Jesus actually quotes that Exodus passage that I showed earlier, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And he said, you heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus is giving another way to see justice here. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. That's how we, our society is. Justice, fairness. But I say do not resist an evil person. It helps to understand this passage if we know a little bit about the cultural context here. Jesus said if anyone slaps you on the right cheek on purpose. All right, I'm losing my voice. Uh, Let me give an example of what Jesus is talking about. Rob, can you be a a volunteer? Are you about to slap? Yes. Great. Since you work at the church. All right. I know. I, just kidding. Yes. You, yes. Don't film this. Everyone put your phones I'll, away. I'll, I'll need it when I see so, so in the Roman world, it was typically assumed that most people, especially anyone in, uh, who has any kind of power in society, is going to be right-handed. People who are left-handed were looked down upon in society. So when you slap someone, you're going to use your right hand. That's also why in the ancient world, you use your left hand for things that we use toilet paper for. (laughs) And it was that way in the ancient world. You don't use your left hand, you use your right hand. So when like a Roman guard was going to slap a Jewish person, they would use the back of their right hand. And it would slap the right side of the person's face. So that's the situation Jesus is talking about. When a person in power slaps a person who is less than them, they use the back of their hand and slap the right side of their face. Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek also. So Rob, if you turn your cheek that way, you are forcing me to use the palm of my hand to slap you as an equal. You are saying, do not slap me as someone less than you. You slap me as an equal. So Jesus was, you can take a seat. I won't actually slap you. Thank you. (laughs) Give it up for Rob. Jesus was actually empowering his hearers who heard this. He was addressing a system of oppression when the Roman guards would slap a person. He'd say, no, you have power. You are not less than them. So turn the cheek and do not resist them. He's saying, One biblical scholar said that a better translation of do not resist an evil person is 
Do not uh, react violently. This was Jesus um, preaching a message of nonviolence, a way to assert that you cannot demean me, but I will not stoop to your level and react with violence. Unfortunately, this has been used, this passage, uh, to tell people to be a doormat, to lay down, don't resist an evildoer, let them walk all over you. That is really hard and confusing and painful for people who have been victims or are victims of abuse. And that is a dangerous, dangerous message. Jesus is saying, you have power. It's a very different message. Jesus is not saying be a doormat. That is justice. Justice is not eye for an eye. Justice is empowering one another. And when we experience an injustice, it is reacting in a way that does not just keep the cycle of violence going. It cuts it off. It stops it. It's a pretty radical message of Jesus. So what does seeking justice for the good of our neighbors mean? It does not mean longing for punishment for our neighbors, eye for an eye. It's a different kind of justice. Desmond Tutu, Archbishop in Africa, said there are different kinds of justice. Retributive justice is largely Western. That's the punishment justice, that God is, will punish us for our wrongdoings. The African understanding and the Eastern Christianity has this understanding as well, is far more restorative. Not so much to punish as to redress or restore a balance that's been knocked askew. This is the justice that God longs for in the world. Not of violence and judgment and vengeance, but a restoration, a evening out of the power imbalances that cause oppression in our world, in our society. God's justice looks like restoring the world as it should be. So justice is to empower those who are without power our neighbors who do not have a voice. It means that those of us who do have privilege and power, which is me, I am a white, male, Christian, straight pastor. I have a lot of power and privilege in this society. So part of this conversation means those of us who have power, we need to name it and own it and then talk about how do we use that power to help balance the scales so that those who are oppressed, those of different races and sexuality and gender, how do we use our privilege to call out the injustice that we've done to so many people? Let's figure that out. That's a hard, hard thing to figure it out, but that's what it means to follow Jesus, to follow his way of empowering those who are oppressed. There is a continuum, a um, kind of a, uh, a range of justice work. Um, we've been talking about this. I, I'm in a class called Cultural Fluency um, in my seminary. And then when it talks about social change and transformation, 
You have justice on one end, and that's the goal. That's love and power working together, bringing transformation to the systems that, that, that cause oppression. And then on the far other end of the spectrum, you have charity. So charity is, uh, it's kind of an immediate fix. It's giving money, but the relationship is at a distance. So it's, you see someone on the side of the road, you give them a few bucks, you don't know their name, you don't have a conversation with them, you see the problem and you want to do something. And a lot of times the motivation for that charity is guilt because we feel bad for the person. And none of this is, an, is inherently bad. Um, guilt can be a good motivator, and all of this can be a good starting point. When we give, uh, serve a meal in Issaquah to those who are hungry, that can easily be on the charity side. We're standing behind a table, and they're coming up, and we're serving, but I really, we don't really know the people. So the way to work toward justice is when you have these opportunities, um, you start to build relationships with people. You know them by name. You start to hear their story, and you start to understand their perspective, and you start to see how they got into their situation in the first place, and you start to have equal respect for them as a person. That's how you work toward justice, so that by the time you get to justice, it looks like you're not just giving them a food item or money. You are empowering them, that you are developing not a distant relationship, but a support system with them, a network of relationships in our community for them. It's a focus on the overall system that is causing that oppression and not just this one little problem at the bottom. And the purpose is to transform, not just be a quick fix, but a long-term transformation. And that's the kind of justice work that we are here to do. Sometimes it starts with the charity but that does not and should not stop there. The goal is justice. That's why we exist as a church. It's part of our vision statement. There's a story of Jesus empowering uh, in Mark 10. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were with a large crowd, they were leaving the city, and a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging Uh, A lot of biblical scholars say that the literal translation of Timaeus in Greek is something like filth, the son of filth. So his, his dad's name wasn't Timaeus. People called him a son of filth because he was a blind beggar on the side of the road. It was his social status in society. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Bartimaeus began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. People in that group were silencing the son of filth. You do not have a voice. Jesus does not have the time of day for you. And Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well, and immediately he regained his sight, 
followed Jesus on the way. Jesus asked the man who had no voice, what do you want me to do for you? The very man that the people around him had silenced and told him to shut up. Jesus gave him a voice. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus empowered those without power and gave a voice to the voiceless. It was not simply about healing the sick. He was trying to turn up and power in differences in society. It's powerful. Right before the story, Jesus tells his followers that whoever wishes to have power and greatness in society, you have to become a servant. He's trying to flip the power structure. What you think is power in this world, it's not. You can have a lot of power and wealth, uh, a lot of influence in your jobs and society, and still not have a life of love, still be very sad and lonely and depressed. Because all of that stuff is not true power, even though the world says it is. So justice means recognizing that and giving power to those that society has taken it away from. Martin Luther King said, power without love is reckless and abusive. Love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. That is packed full of good stuff. You take a picture of that slide, you'll think about it all day. Justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. God is love. God's goal for this world is a world and the lives of love. So our job as followers of Jesus is to stand up against anything that goes against love. February 1st, 1960, four black students went into a diner and sat down where it was a whites-only diner, and they ordered coffee, and they were refused to be served coffee. Their actions, it sparked kind of a chain reaction of what they called sit-ins in other uh, cities in the southern states. And these protesters of the sit-ins would pelt those black people, those students, with uh, food and ketchup. And they would, whatever was at the diner or on the table, they would taunt them and they would make fun of them. And they would jeer them on and they would shove them. And they would harass them just because they were sitting at a diner wanting to order food. This is... Dion Diamond on the left there. He was sitting at the whites only lunch counter in Arlington, Virginia, and that man standing above him, speaking down to him, was the leader of the Nazi party, white supremacist party at the time in, in the southern states, um, surrounded by a group of white people. And he just closed his eyes and listened as he stood there. Uh, sparked this uh, chain reaction of inspiring black people, uh, specifically college students, um, to peacefully and quietly just sit in a space where white people said, you do not belong here. The students formed a committee called the Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. 
And that group was a big influence on Martin Luther King uh, becoming a nonviolent um, influencer. And the statement from that coordinating committee in 1960 said this. Courage displaces fear. Love transforms hate. Acceptance dissipates prejudice. Hope ends despair. Peace dominates war. Faith reconciles doubt. Justice for all overcomes injustice. Love is the force by which God binds humans to himself and binds humans to one another. That is your job as followers of Christ. That is our role as Mission Gathering Christian Church. Isaiah 1, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Micah, the prophet Micah, the Hebrew scriptures, he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. That is what it means to seek justice for the good of our neighbors. So on the night before Jesus died, he was in the room with his followers who he had been trying to teach throughout this three years of ministry that what I'm here to do, to set the captives free, to, to liberate people, to empower people. Where do I want to put that? That this is not about a select few experiencing the life that God gives. This is about us helping all people realize that they are accepted and loved by God. And so as a symbol of a way for his followers to remember all that Jesus taught, that true power is found in giving your life. He broke the bread. He said, this is my body and it's broken for you. Every time you eat, remember me. He poured out the wine, grape juice in our case said, this is my blood poured out for you. Every time you drink, remember me. He says, this is the new covenant, my blood. Meaning the old covenant said that you have to do all of this stuff to be right with God. And then only certain people in power can be right with God. And Jesus said, this is the new one that's opening the door to all people. All people are right with God. And so when we eat and drink, we remember that. Linda, would you help me serve? He's already made it plain how to live, to do 
what God is looking for in men and women, and it's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love, and don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Justice always has with it love and compassion and mercy. If it doesn't, it's not justice. It is not true justice. So as you go out today, go knowing that you have been given the power and the authority by Christ to empower others, to name injustice and oppression, and to work together for good, to bring God's wholeness and healing to the world. Go in peace. We'll see you next time.